1: for a back classic NBA podcast at com. I am Jason Mann. And with me today, he is a contributor at The Step Back, Miles Ray. Uh, Miles, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me.
1: So you wrote an interesting piece recently looking at how a it is fairly unusual for a team with a... Um, who, who, for through the season, who outscore their opponents to not make the playoffs. I mean, it happens like every other year or so. So it's not super uncommon, but, um, it's interesting to look back at some of those teams and uh, you see if there's any common threads or anything like that. And you do uh, you know, you look at the teams that did it more modernly, and we're gonna get into that. But um, we also did a little bit of research on some historical teams that we're going to get into. But you know, the interesting thing is that it is now happening to uh, there are, are are five NBA teams who are threatening to do this in one season, which would be the most in. Um, NBA history. And there seems like there's a, a little bit of an uptick in the trend of this in recent seasons.
2: Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. I was I was just looking at uh, ESPN's NBA standings page, and they've got a, a nice column kind of towards the right of that page with the differential. And they've got green if you got—there's a green number if you got a positive differential on the year, and a red if you got a negative. And they've had this for years, and usually— Ah, uh, the league just sorts itself out green on top in the playoffs and and red on the bottom. and when I was looking at it a few weeks ago it's it's just all scrambled up, especially in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, yeah, there's really no <laughs> it usually predicts the the standings almost exactly, but this year it's it's entirely scrambled up,
1: yeah, and um you know it it's it sort of it, right now it's the the Heat, the Bucks, the Hornets, the Timberwolves, and the Nuggets, who all are either you know, at this point or you know extremely close to uh, this point, it's changed a little bit since you um, wrote your piece. I- is there a common thread you know between these teams or between the teams that you um, you know looked at for your piece, or do they all kind of accomplish this for different reasons?
2: There's usually some sort of midseason change. Um... Either for for the better or for the worse, and so because of that midseason change, um, so uh, uh, for example, the um, the Heat were were a really bad team in, in 2016 through December, and then they just they just started winning. Um, they went on the, a very bizarre 13 game win streak as a losing team, and so so um, yeah, something just kind of changed uh, within the Heat. They either changed the lineup, usually a team will make a trade. Um, so a team like the Heat, they're still below five hundred right now, but they're they've been so good for so long that their point differential is positive, but their wins just haven't caught up to the they haven't caught up to five hundred yet.
1: Yeah, and the heater uh, maybe a little bit of an anomaly here because they didn't necessarily. I mean, they didn't have a major change of personnel. I mean, they, they you know, obviously they right, yeah, adjusted lineups and things like that, but they didn't. You know, they didn't make a trade. They didn't have a coaching change. You know, anything like that. There, there was no significant major change on the surface that you can point to as a reason that this happened. And in, in a lot of these cases, there are, um, you know, things that happened that were um, uh, that were interesting. Um, So so you, you know, looking at the more recent ones in the 21st century, you picked eight teams that, um, that did so. And I like that you found a a good range of reasons for these teams, you know, whether it came from rebuilding, you know, uh, teams that you just happen to be exceptionally good at garbage time, which is, you know, weird or, um, late season surge or just, uh, you know, the, the, the competition was extremely fierce, um. You, were there any that took a while to dig into to kind of you know find the reason that like it wasn't you know immediately apparent and, until you really you dug into the data?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I would say last year's Utah Jazz team. Um, so so last year's Utah Jazz, they finished forty and forty two, um, and they were on the ninth seed, just outside the playoffs. And then their average margin of victory was one point eight points per game, which is which is huge. That's um, like the the Jazz were at 1.8 last year, and the Wizards this year are at 2.1. So the ja- last year's Jazz were playing something like the the third best team in the East, while being outside of the playoffs in the in the West with a losing record. And and uh, I don't know, they're they're a strong team, they're a really good defensive team. So yeah, it was pretty. It's kind of a struggle to figure out what was going on there. And then I looked and saw that. Um, when they played a really good team, so last year that was the Thunder, the Spurs and the Warriors, uh they just they just absolutely got clobbered. It was like they were a whole different team. So they lost all twelve of their games against the Thunder, Spurs and Warriors, getting blown out in just about all of them.
1: And the Jazz have done this now, you know, they did it two years in a row, you know, in um in the fifteenth season as well. Um it, you know, the, the I believe the 2016 Jazz were, you know, like sixth on the list in a largest disparity between, you know, um, their record and, you know, their uh, margin of victory in a, in a season. We'll get to some of the, you know, real extreme cases, but um, – uh, but you know, even in 2015 they had kind of a, a similar thing, although I, I think it was a, it was a different reason. It was you know it was uh, losing Enos Cantor actually that uh, seemed to trigger the, them you know be, uh, having a second half surge and you know and being kind of a, a team on the rise. But the, but the Jazz have been kind of at that point where they've been a team on the rise for long enough where it was kind of even early this year they they didn't you know surge immediately out of the gate so it was and they dealt with injuries and they have kind of dealt with injuries consistently throughout these um years so it, they've they've um i think finally they've fulfilled that th- this season but it's uh you know they've been at this point where they're it looks like they should be so much better than their record and they have you know these young emerging players that um you know their timeline for growth has been a little bit um i, I guess you know outside of expectations whether it's you know completely out of line with NBA history is another matter. But at least, you know, I, the last couple of years, it seems like there's been just like, okay, why aren't these guys like, you know, they look like they should be a little bit better than they are.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point about, that's a great point about the Jazz. So the, yeah, you can kind of look at it and there's, there's not that many impressive results, but then on the other hand, sometimes look at their growth and sometimes think this kind of looks like how the Warriors got started. Like it wasn't, it wasn't impressive for a long time. Like he didn't, the Warriors, you know, are built on moves in, that were made in 2011 and stuff and uh so yeah, I th- I'm really curious how the Jazz are going to work out this this version of them.
1: Yeah, it'll I mean they they're looking good. I mean, you know, they still obviously it's a tough Western Conference still. So, uh, but they're doing yeah. better against those top teams. I I would assume this season. Um uh, so yeah, they, they remind me a little bit of another team, you know, you heard a bit about which were the uh, 2014 Minnesota Timberwolves, which was kind of like the that was the team that was built, um, you know, in Rick Adelman's image. And Kevin Love was, you know, at his, um, you know, at least productive peak in terms of, you know, his volume scoring and things like that. I guess he's maybe a little bit more efficient now in Cleveland, but this was sort of when he was, um, his reputation was at its, um, highest in terms of, you know, just being an individual star and, um, and they, yeah they really you pointed out that really what happened with them is they played extremely poorly in the clutch but it was another situation where it's like okay this team looks like it should be a lot better they have you know this you know really high really regarded coach and they have you know a good guys who fit the system and you know this um, and, and, you know, this guy who's a really big star and yet, um, you know, it, it was just a weird thing where they couldn't, uh, get over the hump. And then, you know, instead of sticking with it, you know, Kevin Love, you know, they, they made the trades, which made sense for them at, at, their timeline and where Kevin Love was, but it was still, you know, they kind of, you know, were, didn't get good long enough to the point where they, you know, changed their direction.
2: Yeah, didn't didn't Rick Adelman's wife? Wasn't she, she had some health problems? Is that yeah? That that was another issue, of course. And you know, and, and of course they
1: you know they brought in Flip Saunders, and then you know, of course, I even mean, he passed away. I mean, they, they had a lot of yeah. they've had a lot of turmoil going on there, just beyond you know what happened on the uh, on the court, but. Um, yeah, they they've had there's obviously just been some odd um, things that you know unusual circumstances that happened there. But yeah, the, I, I I do think you you refer to them as the least clutch team of all time, and I, I remember specifically a game where Kevin Love at the end missed three free throws in a row, and it was just <laughs> like, like a like a just amazing. You know, he's a pretty good free throw shooter. It was just like an amazing yeah. like lack of um, uh, you know, just just lack of uh, polish in that situation where they just you know. um completely could not uh, seem to not be able to handle east on that night obviously it kind of uh um you know fell fell through that uh that season for them
2: yeah i i kind of expected every team uh in this category to 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 struggle in the fourth quarter like the timberwolves did but re- really they're the only one they they didn't really have any big mid-season changes they really just struggled in the fourth quarter and yeah, this year the only team that's like that is the Hornets. They they really struggle in the fourth quarter too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's gotta be it's gotta be pretty frustrating if you're a member of the team or a fan of the team too, probably.
1: Yeah, Well and of course the Timberwolves this year are in um are are in that or they're very close to that category, I believe, right now and. Um, I mean, they really had a lot of early struggles. They had a lot of third quarter struggles um, for quite a bit during the season, and really, it's 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 changed after uh Zach Levine's ACL tear where they've you brought in Brandon Rush and um it, it's interesting because I, I think a lot I think Zach Levine has a lot of potential as a player but you know what does it say about him at least right now where you you know, replace him with you know kind of a journeyman and and they're uh, so much better with that with that swap and obviously they have other stars there and maybe just you know it says a lot about fit over talent but um it, it's interesting how th- that change which seems like it would seem certainly seems like a downgrade and seems like um you know, fairly minor in the scheme of things, um, has really, you know, led to do a big turnaround for them.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So yeah, the the Timberwolves just I think just last night they lost to the Heat by like twenty. And I think that alone dipped them down into the negative. So currently they are both under five hundred and have a negative scoring margin, but they're they're very close to having a positive one. And yeah, it, it really all started. They had banked a ton of losses with Levine in the lineup. And then, once Levine got injured and Rush was moved into the lineup in February, they started winning games by a lot of points, and so their, mar- their overall scoring margins started, you know, rocketing up while their wins didn't. What's funny is since I published that, the Nuggets are now um, the nuggets have joined this category of teams, and it, it's also kind of the same thing, but instead of an injury, they've, they've pretty much benched Emmanuel Mudiay in favor of Jameer Nelson and then they also traded away Yusuf Nurkic and their yeah their point margin has been incredible since the all-star break um even though they're still below 500 on the entire season
1: uh, you know one team that um i i kind of a team that i sort of forgot about this was the uh, the the post allen iverson uh 76ers in uh, two, uh 2008 uh you know with with Andre Miller um Andre Iguodala um, Samuel D'Alembert, uh, Willie Green, Reggie Evans, um, you know, it, it, an interesting mix of, of talent. They're not, not, not a lot of floor spacers there, but, uh, you know, obviously it was a different time, but, um, I, uh, that, that was a really, um, it was an interesting way in which they were able to, you know, get this, they, they were 40 and 42, but had a, uh, um, uh, but you know, had had a positive, um, it was just barely over zero, it was 0, 0. 4, but still, uh, a, you know, a, a positive margin of victory on the season. But the, the, the reason I thought was interesting,
2: yeah, and it made me realize how quickly the NBA's evolved. I, I kind of think of the oh seven oh eight season as kind of in uh, yesterday in some way, you know, there's so many familiar faces, but then when you think about a starting lineup with Andre Miller. Andre Iguodala, Reggie Evans, and Samuel D'Alembert in it. It would just—it would never happen, you know, today.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, and all four of those guys were good players at the time, you know, and obviously Iguodala is still good today, but yeah.
2: Um, yes. Yeah, they just do not fit—they would not fit together in 2017, you know. They would just be so so confined to the paint.
1: Yeah, and that team also, Thaddeus Young and Lou Williams. Um, and, and they were—you know, you, you wrote about how they were— um, the, the team did so well off the bench they were able to um you know, kind of ride those uh those bench units to you know to to score productively even though uh you know the, their best lineups did not do particularly well or their yeah their, I, w- I would say that yeah their starting lineups their their most used lineups did not do particularly well
2: yeah the, the, their starting lineups got outscored and then their bench outscored other teams which is that, that probably doesn't happen too often that's pretty weird yeah
1: yeah um uh, yeah, I guess uh, Mo Cheeks. There, uh, you know, uh, old school coaching style from um, from Mo Cheeks. Yes. One other recent team I want to talk a little bit about is the uh, uh, the Celtics. Um, who th- this was the post um, this was the post Rondo uh, 2015 season after they traded away uh, Rondo and Jeff Green, and uh, they got Jay Crowder for Rondo. And eventually they they made that midseason trade for Isaiah Thomas, and and since then uh, they really have been. You know, this emerging team, um, it, you know, in, in the last few years, obviously, you know, having those, uh, those nets picks and getting some young talent and, you know, getting out Horford and free all, agency and all that. And they, they kind of slowly been building into something where, you know, you could see them making an Eastern conference finals, um, maybe from this season. So, um, it, that was another one where it didn't seem like a a big change at the time. In fact, losing Rajon Rondo seemed like a, you know, a more of what a rebuilding team would do. And then they ended up, you know, really uh, surging and, um, you know, coming close to being a 500 team.
2: Yeah, I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that once the Celtics got Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, the nucleus of their current team, which we view as a contender, even this is the 2014-2015 team, even once they got those guys in the middle of the season, they they immediately became good. Uh, they went 20 and 11 after the All Star break that year, which is, I mean, that's a that's a home court advantage in the first round winning percentage if you can keep it up over the whole year um you know these guys are coming in in the middle of the season when supposedly it takes a long time to work things out you know and they were they were immediately good so yeah i was really impressed by uh what what danny ainge managed to do in the middle of the season because he really rebuilt the team in the middle of the season
1: Yeah, that that probably doesn't get said enough of how tricky that is to do that, and they didn't, you know, they they gave up Rondo, but but Rondo has been a negative player pretty much in all cases uh, since then, and uh, they, um, you know, they didn't really give up anything of of significance, as I recall, to get uh, Isaiah Thomas, so. uh, so, that, so yeah, those that were those are pretty crafty moves, of course, on um on his part. I, I sometimes I'm a little bit loath to praise Danny Ainge, but you know, go ahead and uh, do that here. We'll mark it on the calendar <laughs> for anybody who's uh, keeping track there, out there. <laughs> uh, so, digging a little bit into the deeper history, um, I, I looked up a, a few things uh, going based on your list, but and the first thing that stood out to me is that the uh, the Syracuse Nationals, who eventually became the Philadelphia seventy six ers. In between 51 and 61, they managed to accomplish this uh, four different occasions, um, 51, 56, 59, and 61. Uh, Each time they made the Eastern Division Finals, and they took that series to either a full five or seven games uh, three times. So three out of those four times they had. Um, Dolph Shays was the only common thread on all four teams. And he was an elite player the entire time, even in 61, which was toward the end of his career. Um, uh, Paul Seymour and Red Kerr were on three of the, of the, of the teams. And, um, they had coaches, uh, Paul Seymour was player coach one instance, Al Servi was a coach who had been a player for the team. And Alex Hanum had also been a coach who had been player of the team. So all the coaches they had during those seasons had, you know, they were not outsiders. They were, you know, they'd been part of the team. They knew the players, Um, and, the 51 and 56 came in years after they either went to the finals or won the NBA championship. So, yeah, it's hard to see what exactly was in common other than, you know, they had had, um, they had a lot of continuity during that time and they had coaches who, like I said, had been players there. So maybe there was just something of a, uh, uh, you know, where they, uh, tended to, um, I mean, you, you, for some reason, they might outperform the record. Maybe they might just relax in certain regular season situations and not stress over it and maybe save themselves a little bit more for – you know when when times get rough, but I, I it was just interesting to see a franchise do that so many times. I, I can't think of any other instance where there's a couple of teams who do it. You know, like like we we talked about the Jazz doing it back to back, and there's a few others who maybe did it like you know once, twice in like three or four or five years, but th- to do it that this many times, um, I, I thought was interesting. I I don't, can't really draw any conclusions from it, but I think it's interesting.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have no. I have no idea. Maybe it's just they. It was pretty easy to get into the. I guess does every team go in, automatically birth into the playoffs? Then I, no. no, no, yeah, you. It was so in the early it was 50, close though.
1: Yeah, in the early so from fifty-one to fifty-four, you know the league contracted. They had like from went from like seventeen teams to eight teams. So. um so that period, yeah. there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of fluctuation uh, there. And then it, it's six out of eight teams for, I think, the rest of that time. 61, I think, was in expansion year. So they. All right, no, that was 62. So, so it was eight teams. So, so, yeah, I mean, it was relatively easy to make the playoffs. But, I mean, it's still, you know, it was obviously teams without winning re- records made the playoffs uh, quite consistently. So, yeah, I guess the playoff appearances. I mean, they they went fairly deep into the playoffs each time. I mean, they, they you know they would at least won at least one playoff series. And you know, and and they battled. Fifty nine was um, you know, really the key year where they really took they took a very uh, gave the Celtics a very tough series that year. They had added. George Yardley, who was a big scorer from the Pistons late that season. And that's actually the, um, you know, the, the, of all the teams who are on that list, they had the, um, uh, they, they had the best, um, uh, they had the best margin of victory over a season they as at at 4.04 so they were yeah i mean outscoring their opponents by four points a game which is you know, a pretty a significant margin that, that's a a team that you know does that has won you know one NBA championships in certain seasons that's usually like a you know about a 55 50 55 win team i would i would say so the fact that they finished under 500 um that year and, and they also had uh, the 61 team has the fourth um best um, margin of victory during that time so they they stand out even among you know that list
2: yeah i'm looking at the 51 team right now and they lost um five of their last six games so maybe they just shut it down and and let themselves get get blown out and lose the games even though they built up the positive differential over the season
1: yeah it's mystery and there could have been injuries there i you know, we did i did not dig into it that deeply but um I just thought that was uh, an interesting thing to um, uh, to point out. Um, another one that I thought was interesting was the 67 Lakers. Um, this is the time of Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, of course. And this was a losing season that came in between five finals appearances. And they also it, it was right in the middle of a of a run of seven finals appearances in nine seasons, which they they lost every time, unfortunately, in those finals. But, uh, you know, it, it actually it wasn't. I mean, Jerry West did miss 16 games that year with leg injuries and his stats were down a little bit across the board that year. He was 28th that year, but, um, you know, he honestly routinely would lose, would miss about 10 to 15 games per season. So that's not necessarily that far off. And Elgin Baylor actually had a bounce back season after struggles the year before, after he had a, a very serious knee injury that almost ended his career. So, um, he was never quite the same, but he was still better than he had been the previous season when they had made the finals and took the Celtics to seven games in the finals. So, uh, that that one kind of uh, baffles me a little bit. That was the last year with their coach Fred Schaus, who had coached them for most of the '60s, um, and this was two years before they would get Will Chamberlain. So, um, but yeah, they had a, a pretty similar roster to the previous year, so it's sort of a mystery to me why that happened. But that was one that kind of uh, stood out to me as well.
2: Yeah, they were way below 500. Also, they were uh, 36 and 45. So. One game didn't get played uh, for some reason, but uh, yeah, that's that's way below 500 with a positive differential.
1: Right, exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then another one 75 Bucks and 76 Lakers, which were Kareem Abdul Jabbar's last year in Milwaukee and first year in Los Angeles. And the Bucks were, you know, it started off like with a disastrous record um, because you know, Kareem had been injured early in the season. They were something around—I uh, forget to look it up—but around like four and thirteen at, at the point when. He came back, and you know they were, they'd been, they'd gone to the finals the year before. They were coming off of this, you know, great uh, run of some of the best teams in uh, NBA history, at least in the regular season, and winning the seventy one championship. Um, but then Oscar Robertson had retired, and there had been some turnover there, and they were not quite the same. I mean, and Kareem wasn't quite the same that year. He, he'd, you know, been um, poked in the eye, and, and and was playing with goggles and having some difficulty with that. And then the next year, when when um, Kareem went to the Lakers, they you know traded they had almost no depth because they traded qu- quite a bit to get him um so it it was kind of a situation of where it's odd that Kareem, two seasons in which he was, I think they're like his 26, 27 seasons in which most players are at their peak. Uh, you know, he was, un- I mean, he was still brilliant, you know, individual player, but he was unable to, you know, take these teams to the uh, the playoffs, which, you know, he had so much um, success doing so for the rest of his career. He made the playoffs every other season other than those two. So uh, it's just kind of a remarkable, um, you know, uh, odd thing for him doing. And even like, you know, obviously this shows that they were, you know, playoff quality teams that just didn't happen to at least they were certainly better than the records that they uh uh, had
2: those seasons absolutely yeah i think that that i didn't uh realize that yeah that season opening injury to kareem that that can do it because in the rest of the year they're winning games with a huge positive margin but they've got this kind of margin hole that they've that they've dug themselves into Mm -hmm. or uh win loss hole that they've dug themselves into with kareem being gone and starting four and 13
1: yeah exactly Um, And then another one uh, or actually two teams did the same year, the 81 Houston Rockets and the 81 Kansas City Kings. And both those teams finished 40 and 42 and they both made the Western Conference Finals. The Rockets won that series and would go to the finals against the uh, Celtics um it, it that's that's an odd year in NBA history in terms of those teams you, you know the the Lakers were upset by the Rockets in a three-game playoff series the Kings ended up upsetting the number one seeded uh Suns uh that year in the uh, second round this was back when uh uh st- the top team still had buys in the first round of the playoffs so um you know th- that format would change in a few seasons so that something like that would never quite happen again but it was very odd that the Rockets that year had uh, Moses Malone, who was uh, – he had already won the MVP once and went two more times after this. And then the Kings um, – and interestingly enough, the Kings were one of those teams that had previously accomplished this in 77. And they both they, – Scott Wedman and Sam Lacey had been on both of those teams. Uh, uh, teams both in 77 and 81 so i don't know if there's anything in particular about it. those guys are kind of underrated historically so maybe there's uh something there where they're better than you know uh, uh than maybe some of the uh you just boxers cats showed but um and the 81 kings also had otis birdsong and phil ford who were dynamic young backcourt you probably uh um John Wall and Bradley Beal will probably be a good parallel in terms of, you know, kind of where they were at that point, uh, you know, going on, the kind of the potential that they had. It didn't quite work out for them, but but they were, at the time, you know, Phil Ford was up there among the best, uh, you know, point
2: guards in the league. I was trying to think of what, what would the kind of reaction be in 2017 if two, two sub 500 teams made it to the conference finals? I mean, that's good crazy
1: yeah right yeah it just it was i mean this was they were you know we did a um we we did an episode uh in our 70s series looking at teams that uh you know major playoff upsets and uh even though these guys were right after the 70s this was kind of the end of that era of a lot of parody and a lot of playoff upsets and that would be a far less common thing. I, you know, this was basically the end of that uh, time for like another you know, 25, 30 years that there were, they were fairly rare. Um, so at least in seven game series. So, um yeah this this one obviously i mean it stands out for that reason but for the additional reason of actually those teams i, I guess in retrospect those teams were you know um better than you know their records um obviously they're better than their records had to uh show in those cases although i think uh at least the um the um the, the kings were they, they were like 0.001 uh margin of they were extremely very close to uh you know being uh you know, they, they, they were almost, you know, to the point where it was negative or it was even, they, they were just barely, barely over the line of being positive, but you know, close enough.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so one other common thing that I noticed at, there were kind of a lot of teams that this applied to, is it, uh, a number of teams that were, you know, teams that were about to make a fairly big run, um, you know, over multiple years, um, the '75 Trailblazers, which was um, Bill Walden's first year, only played 35 games that year. Um, so I'm sure they probably played better with him than they played uh, without him during that season. Of course, you know they would move on and you know be a championship team in '77. Uh, although they mostly turned over that almost that entire team um, after that. that that year. They had Jeff Petrie and Sidney Wicks, who were both won Rookie of the Year and were you know they're kind of their other big stars that year. Um, the 77 sons who had uh, the previous year made the finals as a 42 and 40 team and basically had the same team back. Uh, but they had a lot of injuries and um, you know, I think they only had their um, their full lineup for six games over the uh, season. And they actually had the worst uh, win loss record of any of these teams uh, that were listed with it is at 34 and uh, 48. So um, uh, that was kind of interesting. And then they would end up bouncing back and being a, a really good, you know, conference finals level team in the late 70s into the, you know, the Showtime Laker you know, battles of the early 80s.
2: Yeah, we've also got the uh 86-87 Bulls, which was Jordan's third year, I think. Yeah. Uh yeah, they they also
1: And he'd been hurt in 86 and um it, this was the the last year before Pippen and Gray and, you know, and Jordan was, yeah, I mean, he had very much an MVP level season in 87. I mean, he would pretty much have MVP level seasons, uh, you know, obviously through his bulls years, um, after this and, uh, and would win the MVP in 88, um, and many other times after that, but, um, yeah, I mean he averaged something like 37 points in a season. So I mean he was just kind of um, you know, amazingly carrying them, but they did not have much else. I mean, w- once they got you know Pippen and Grant and those guys developed and they, you know, kind of built a team smartly. I mean they had Oakley, you know, but he was kind of the only other um, you know, really talented player for the most part on those um on those teams uh another team uh that stayed out uh, or a couple more the uh, 79 bucks who were you know they kind of building that 80s contender under don nelson you know marcus johnson was there brian winters junior Bridgman. it was before Sidney moncrief but they were you know just starting to get to that level they would really surge in 1980 the um 89 trailblazers which um uh, you know was clyde drexler jerome kersey terry porter they were about to emerge as the um you know, as a really great team, they'd make the 90 and 92 finals. And they'd actually done it in 86 as well. Um, they'd also, both teams also had, uh, uh, Sam Bowie and Caldwell Jones and Kiki Vandaway. And that year, oddly in 89, they had a coaching change with Mike Schuler to Rick Adelman. And they were actually, uh, Mike Shuler feuded with, uh, some of the players, including Clyde Drexler. And they, started off 25 and 22. And when Adelman came in, they were only 14 and uh, 21. So they were worse, uh, you know, in record wise, but of course, long-term that was a beneficial change for uh, them. Interesting that Adelman is on both was the coach both for the, this time and that, that year with the uh, trail with that year with the uh, Timberwolves that we talked about.
2: Yeah. There was also, um, yeah, Luke Richard and Bob Mute was on consecutive teams. He was on the, yeah, he was on consecutive teams who who, who did this. He was nice. on the Timberwolves that year, and uh, yeah, I think it was and, the, and Bucks the Bucks the yeah. year before. Right, yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, we talked about them, but yeah, they were another team that uh, did this, and then a couple other ones that stand out. the The '92 Pacers, you know, this they have Reggie Miller at this point. Obviously, Chuck Person is still there. Uh, Detlef Shrimp is there. Rick Smits and Dale Davis, you know. Um, Obviously, a few of those guys would end up, you know, being exceptional for them in the, uh, you know, once they get Larry Brown in 94, they're, you know, a uh, conference finals contender for a number of years. And then the 2007 Magic, who you mentioned in your piece, and um, and the reason, I'm not sure that they were necessarily on their way to great things at, at this point. I mean, they did have Dwight Howard. They did have Hita Troglou. Um, and jameer Nelson so some of the building blocks of those really good teams but this is the year before uh Stan van gundy they still have Brian Hill there Grant Hills final year there where he actually had, had a, you know fewer injuries than usual and had you know, actually did, did play pretty well but um it, the, the the reason you found behind it you know it was more of just kind of uh they ended up being really good at the end of the season on a really easy schedule but um I, but of course you know they would end up being you know the some of the building blocks of the team that would, you know, go to the finals in '09 and and be a really good team for quite a
2: while. Yeah, this this trend kind of makes me wonder about. So, what what about you know these five teams who are doing it this year? You know, was are we going to look back? You know, at the, in the future because because these you know they're all middle, you know, they're all just below 500, so they're not super impressive yet. But you know, is is this the seeds of some? future finals contender here
1: yeah i mean i i would i would say um milwaukee and denver at least like have the players who i would consider you know superstar building blocks that you know you could conceive of them uh being those kind of teams um you know whether yeah conference finals contenders or yeah i mean and and they're uh, those their main guys are young enough where you kind of feel like they're building that i mean miami seems like it's just been uh you know a bag of tricks and um you know they don't really necessarily seem like uh a team that's built for the long haul, especially since they are um, a team that uh, you know a lot of their guys can leave after this season. So whether they, I mean, it's really impressive what they've done. It's you know it's amazing, and you know if they can kind of keep it together and, and make it work, that'd be great. But um, you one one team that um, uh, I, it's interesting comparison to them is the '97 Suns, who um, had a really terrible start and then were able to you know kind of turn it around in, in a way in a similar way to, you know, what the heat were able to do um, this season. That that was one that kind of stood out to me. I I know that NBA trades just recently did a, you know, a podcast of uh, looking at, you know, kind of the parallels between those two situations, because yeah, I mean, they, they were another team that kind of started off uh, really bad and then ended up, you know, um, being pretty good and, uh, and making the playoffs that season.
2: Yeah. They traded for Jason Kidd. It, Uh Well, Danny Ainge was the coach of the team, which is pretty fascinating, but, uh, they traded for Jason Kidd in the middle of the year, and then after that, they really they really took off. They started zero eight, fired Cotton Fitzsimmons, and brought in Ainge like a they brought in Ainge like a year or two after he was done playing right, in so the middle like, of the season, which would that's another <laughs> it's hard to imagine that happening.
1: Yeah, they actually uh, they they were zero and thirteen before they actually won their first game. So and they finished forty and forty two. So. Um, obviously, uh, you know, an impressive, um, similar to kind of what Miami did, you know, or is doing this season. That's you know, kind of right in that same, um, in that same vein.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So, any other, um, anything else that you you think is interesting about your piece, or just about this topic in general?
2: Well, I was looking at the so the kind of flip side of we've been talking about teams with a negative record and then the positive uh, point differential, but uh, there's there's even more, there's the, so the flip side of that is teams who got outscored for the whole year and still had a winning record. Mm-hmm. And so it happened, it, it again happens about once a year. But it happened three times, la- there were three teams who did it last year, which was Memphis, Dallas, and Chicago. And I think those, those teams all got racked with late season injuries. Um, so I think that explains it. And this year we got the Hawks and the Pacers. So they're solidly in the Eastern Conference, in the middle of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and they um, they've got a negative scoring differential on the year. They've been outscored on the season. Yeah. So I don't know why, I don't know what what that means, but yeah, the Hawks are thirty seven and thirty two, and they've been outscored by a point a game.
1: Yeah, they had well, like they had like an absolutely terrible ten game stretch um, after like a really good start and i feel like they've been other than that middling you know um, i mean I, I i would guess it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of those teams um like just had one really bad stretch and were you know kind of okay for most of the rest of the season you kind of looking at this list of the 07 warriors of course the we believe warriors um that made you know the the huge um, midseason trade with uh uh with um with the Pacers and, uh, it just completely turned around their season and, and we're really, you know, an amazing team for like the last 15 games of the season. That was, you know, um, ended up being more representative sample for how they did in the playoffs than, you know, the rest of the season, just because the team kind of coalesced together. I mean, I, I would imagine circumstance like that would kind of lead to, um, that I, you know, kind of glancing at this. I, I I'm not seeing anyone necessarily who, uh, who had, you know, a, uh, any unexpected playoff, uh, success, um, you know, maybe like taking a team to a you know a, a tough series, but as far as um, you know, I, you know, being a being a team that really you did anything of note, there's not standing out to me um off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, I was looking. At, yeah, so yeah, I looked at the all time team who uh, who got outscored on the season, but and then won the most games, and that was the uh, the 94, 95 Lakers. They went forty eight and thirty four while getting outscored. Um, so that was in the kind of the little, I guess you'd call it, downtime between Magic Johnson and and then Kobe and and Shaq. Uh, yeah, so they somehow won. Uh, they went forty eight and thirty four while while getting outscored.
1: Last year's Grizzlies were um, the third had the the third highest negative uh, margin of victory for any team on this list. It was two point two four. The 06 Utah Jazz are number one, and the '87 Golden State Warriors were number two. The, the, the those Warriors were uh, racked by a, a pretty significant drug scandal, if I uh, uh, recall. Um, or I guess that was more the next season where that that was actually I know I'm, I'm dig, I did that back. That was more. Um, uh, that that was more. Um, uh houston and phoenix who dealt with drug issues uh, golden state dealt with more injuries and and trans- other transition issues as opposed to uh drugs so i don't want to disparage anybody there the, the golden state was notorious as a uh, place where uh, people uh w- where drugs were an issue for a long time more than the city were with road teams as opposed to their team but not not great yeah um yeah it is interesting to um uh yeah, that, that might be uh, worth a playoff. That might be worth an episode in it on its own, actually, to uh, discuss uh, some of this because there, there are some interesting teams. that I'm sure it, so, some conclusions perhaps we could draw, whether they are, you know, uh, accurate or spurious conclusions. Uh, who knows? But yeah, this is slightly more common. 88 teams have uh, done it um, in the uh, in NBA's history, which is close to the amount of time the NBA has been around. So it is about, yeah, like I said, about, about once every year for this and about once every other season for um you know, the opposite.
2: Yeah, I don't, and it seems to be happening more. I mean, it's just the last couple of years, but it's it's definitely happened more lately. Which, yeah, I don't know what that. Maybe that means the NBA is more competitive top to bottom. Yeah, or I
1: don't know. Maybe injuries are creating more of a variance, or um, or, or resting. Maybe maybe strategic resting could have some. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's not really. uh uh i guess perhaps it might have something to do with three-pointers i mean obviously three-pointers create more variance in um yeah. in scoring and um you know perhaps they're creating more blowouts you know whether it's one way or the other maybe that's affecting point differential um yeah that, that's an interesting idea well perhaps we'll have to put our some of our finest uh, minds on the uh, case to see if anyone if, if anyone has a theory they can of course uh, uh reach us on uh, twitter or uh facebook uh, at over and back nba that you can get us uh Uh, That way. Is there anything else uh, you want to uh, to talk about before we go?
2: Uh, I don't think so. It was great, great talking about this with you, though.
1: Great. Well, yeah. uh, We'll of course uh, have a link to your piece for anyone who's uh, interested in reading that. I wasn't had a chance to uh, yet, so you can uh, check that out. And there's plenty in there that we didn't get into. So some some good discussion uh, or some good uh, things there and uh thanks of course uh for listening you can uh, find us at the step back at fansided.com uh, you can also find us on itunes stitcher where we listen to your podcast we would appreciate a rating and review if you are so inclined we would uh, it's greatly satisfying to our egos and helps some people uh, find the show and um yeah so thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon